you go into a tournament and you're just like, I really hope I can make this cut. Well, completely different spot. Than, you're going to either make than, the cut or not. You're not going to win. Right. And, and most of the time you're just going to hover right around that spot, no matter yeah. how good you're playing. Right. You're yeah. never going to really like, you know, contend or be for the lead or anything like that. I mean, but those guys that go into the tournament and they say, I'm going to win this tournament. Like when they fail, they finish 20th. Right. Right. If, if your mindset is, I, I hope I can make this cut. Like I'm, I'm going to try to make the cut this week. <laughs> you're, I mean, if you fail there, you're finishing 140th, right? You know, and you're going to miss the cut, and you're packing your bags, and you might as well have just booked your hotel and your flight for for the two night stay. Virtual Hitting Academy. It's six months of training to help your athlete be her very best on the field. We have two swing analysis that we'll do one at the beginning, one at the very end to see her physical progress and also track her mental progress in these six months. If you want your athlete and if she wants to be the best competitor she can come spring, come season, this is a no brainer. And I'm so excited for this offer. I'm so excited to break it down into something that's in bite-sized pieces. I'm excited to give you guest speakers that are just epic in this game that are going to help you and your athlete learn a ton about how to grow in this game. But if this is something that you want to do and you're thinking about it, I want you to head to www.ashleybtraining.com. Check out everything and anything that we have inside the academy. And honestly, it might be the best investment for your athlete within these next six months of training. It's for less than a price of a bat, which are crazy expensive now, but it's really helping your athlete actually learn how to be effective on the field and how to be confident behind the bat. So super excited about it. Doors close on January 14th at 8 p.m. to come in. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on these first six months. So head to www.ashleybtraining.com and get your athlete in there. Um, I'm giving you actually, you know what? I'm going to give you $25 off. If you use the code ACADEMY25 at checkout, you're going to get $25 off of Academy for these first six months. And trust me, it's going to be one of the best investments you can make in your athlete. I'm so excited to coach and teach your athletes how to be better versions of themselves. I'm excited to give you guest speakers as well, mom and dad and coaches inside the academy. So go over there, sign up. If you have any inquiries for me, just head to uh, my website and you can send me an email if you have any questions. But doors close 8 p.m. January 14th. I'm excited to see who's going to be on the inside of Virtual Hitting Academy. All right, y'all. See you later. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, Hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn 
from some of the greats. I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast, sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey guys, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle, and I'm so excited to have you back for part two. If you guys haven't heard, last week I interviewed my husband on the podcast and you were introduced to him and how well-spoken he is and how good he was at golf and why golf is so hard and what the competitive experience is like out there on on the course. And there's so much that we can learn from his story and his journey of playing what I think is the hardest mental game in the world, and that's golf. I'm so excited for part two because we're going to dive into more of how he was able to be so composed on the course. That's something that I loved watching when I got to watch him compete is he was just so composed and he never let his highs get too high or his lows get too low. And I think that's why he was able to be so good. So we're going to dive a bit into that today. We're also going to dive into his experience caddying on the PGA tour for one of his old teammates on the tour, Adam Shank. So he caddied for about a year and I go into the question of like, why are some of these guys so good? Like what differentiates them from like the average college golfer? And he dives a lot into what the difference is between the two. We're also going to talk about how we were raised as competitors. So we talk about our experience growing up and how our dads were both really hard on us. Um, But it's really an insightful conversation that I know you're going to learn so much from. And I'm so excited to have you here. We're both excited to have you here. And for me, I think this is is a way more juicier conversation than part one. Uh, So I'm excited to give you this episode with my husband and I today. Let's dive in. high-level pressure situation that I would say golfers on a regular basis have to, not a regular basis, go back to college athletics. What is a situation that's like really, really tough mentally? I'm thinking like a four-foot putt to, I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, I think in college golf, there's enough I don't even know what the right word is, um, and I'm not going to pretend to find one in my bag of tricks right now, but it's just like, there's enough of just kind of you being out there by yourself to where you don't necessarily know what's happening and you don't know like what the relevance is of that shot. Right. To where, to where I, I would say like the, there isn't a ton of like specific pressure situations within like being a college golfer really until you get to specific moments in your round or in a tournament um, to really be able to understand. I mean, I think everybody gets nervous, right? Because if, if you're nervous, it means you care. So I think like 
always one of the most pressure packed situations is, you know, the beginning of a round because you, you have those expectations for yourself and you want to do well. And you're always a little bit nervous kind of starting out because you, you, you care and you want it to go well, but you kind of get into the, into the rhythm of, of the round. Right. And if you happen to be kind of lucky enough to be in a situation where those last couple shots, you know, really matter for where your team finishes or where you finish as an individual, like obviously then the pressure starts to kind of ramp up again. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's somewhat natural within a round of golf um, to where people will sort of be a little bit more nervous at the beginning. Um, they'll kind of get their feet under themselves kind of during the middle of the round, unless there's really just a specific shot or a specific hole that they just, you know, kind of have as a, as a, as a mental gap in their mind of like, I don't, I don't really like this shot. Right. And those, those are just kind of those negative things that you try to, try to tune out. But then once you get kind of later in the round and you start to understand where you're at, you know, people going for bogey free rounds or, you know, going for a tournament win or, you know, trying to help their team move up one or two spots, like kind of on those final couple holes. But for the most part, you, you really kind of find a rhythm kind of during the middle of the game um, that doesn't necessarily, you know, have specific pressurized situations, I would say. Yeah. I think that's similar to softball. It's just a way shorter amount of time, but you know, if you have butterflies at the beginning, I love how you said, if you, if you're getting nervous, that means you care. I think that goes with all sports. If you're nervous, I mean, shoot, I was nervous before this interview. Yeah, I was about I to say, it doesn't, well. doesn't, ha- doesn't have um, to be sports. I mean, it's right meetings, it's first dates, whatever it is, right? <laughs> like people are nervous because they care because right. they want it to go well. Right. 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 So when you're in the middle of the game. There's not much pressure, but then all of a sudden like pressure starts to build. It's either internally, externally, there's pressure there. Clearly every athlete who's played at the college level has experienced the both realms of Mm -hmm. succeeding during that time and not take me through a time where you did succeed in that situation and what you think led to that. We're getting Uh, deep. Yeah. I mean, I, gosh, I, you have a good, you have a better memory than me. So I know, but I'm trying to think of just the succeed aspect of it. I'm struggling. Um, you were okay. You were one of the best golfers in the country before you got to college. Yeah, correct. It's, it's being a little bold, but you know, it was no. Didn't you, you won like a national title. That was well before. Okay. But yeah, I'm not saying you have to go all the way back there. Yeah, I did beat Justin Thomas once. If you want to just <laughs> throw that out there. Yeah. If Justin, if you're listening, what's up, buddy? <laughs> we need to text him after this and be like, so <laughs> I talked about you on a podcast, but you, you actually talked about this since you mentioned him. And this is kind of Frank, but he's clearly one of the best players on the PGA tour. And there was a time where you were better than him. What is the difference? Based on skill level, like once you get to college and beyond, it's mentality. I think just in general, you know the 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 level of confidence, and you know sometimes we we kind of made the made the joke. There's there's really, I think, two ways to to be like you know really really good golfer. You either have to kind of almost be too dumb to know that you're good because <laughs> because you don't get in your own way. Right? I know softball just, players out of the same way. And you just you just keep going and you're just like, I don't even realize how good I am or like what this situation means or anything. Right. And you just go. I don't like using the word dumb. I, Maybe just like naive. I don't know. Uh, but that's one side. Okay. Right. The other side is basically you you kind of have this level of 
confidence and almost to the point of like arrogance of like, I am better than you. Sure. You know, even if you're not, you make yourself believe it because at the end of the day, like those who believe will probably perform better than those who don't believe. Mm -hmm. Even if they're, you know, completely different skill levels. Yeah. And that could be in the long run too. Mm -hmm. Like on any given day, anybody could lose, anybody could win. Right. But like, if you believe you're good, you will become good. Yep. Yeah. So then what's the other aspect then? You're the dumb enough to like not realize it. And then you said the other one was the arrogance. Yep. Okay. Yep. Which one are you? Or is that just the most successful people are those people? I think I'm just, you asked kind of why, why, why do I think Justin kind of went to that next level? I think, I think Justin was the latter, right? Uh, He has a level of confidence, um, composure just about himself on a day-to-day basis. And I think, you know, we saw it when he was a, when he was a junior golfer, does everybody like him for it? Probably not just because, you know, it can come off a little bit weird, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's incredible to watch. And I think the best athletes in the world all have that kind of aura to them at times. Um, and kind of have to, to kind of go to that next level. And I think Justin had it when he was a junior golfer, he definitely had it when he was in college. And honestly, like, I think even when he got to the PGA tour, I mean, as a rookie on the PGA tour, his whole goal was like, I'm going to win a tournament. Like I, I am going to win a tournament. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't one of those as like this stretch goal. It was, he believed it. Like yeah. he believed he was good enough day one to be on the PGA tour and to win a tournament and to be one of the best players in the world. And I think like, you know, anything that we've, we've read about the most successful golfers back in time, like they've all had a similar mentality, right? Tiger Woods has never played in a tournament. He didn't believe he couldn't win. Yeah. Right. I mean, he goes to every tournament. It doesn't matter if he's doing it on a broken leg. He went there and he went there with one goal and it was, I'm going to win this tournament. Yeah. And he did. Right. Because he had that level of mindset. If you, if you go into a tournament and you're just like, I really hope I can make this cut. Well, completely different spot. Then, you're going to either make then, the cut or not. You're not going to win. Right. And, and most of the time you're just going to hover right around that spot, no matter yeah. how good you're playing. Right. You're yeah. never going to really like, you know, contend or be for the lead or anything like that. I mean, but those guys that go into the tournament and they say, I'm going to win this tournament. Like when they fail, they finish 20th. Right. Right. If, if your mindset is, I, I hope I can make this cut. Like I'm, I'm going to try to make the cut this week. <laughs> you're, I mean, if you fail there, you're finishing 140th, right? You know, and you're going to miss the cut, and you're packing your bags, and you might as well have just booked your hotel and your flight for for the two night stay. Totally. Do you think? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Tiger Woods, and he and Justin are good buddies. Mm-hmm. Do you think their dads? Because we, you know, Justin's dad used to travel with them all the mm-hmm. time and play. Do you think their dads had an influence, or just their family, on their success? For sure. I think in, you know, and obviously I've never met Tiger's dad, um, but I've watched, I've watched a lot of documentaries. Say, the documentaries um, say a lot. But I'll say that like parents in general have a massive impact on it. Right. But it can be done very differently. And, and honestly, from the things that I've seen with Tiger's dad versus Ju- versus what I saw with Justin's dad, two very different approaches. Sure. Um, but both equally as you know, as rewarding, I think like, you know, both of them basically ended up in a pretty similar spot. Right. Can you, can you elaborate on their, on their scenarios? I mean, I think they both, when it comes to support, Mm -hmm. I think they, they're pretty similar on that regard, but what are some of those strategies that you know, that you believe like with your opinion are the reason why they're so good? 
I think you nailed it. It's just, it's the support, right? It's, it's knowing that no matter what they've got their back. Yeah. And just kind of doing it in a very constructive way, knowing, knowing obviously their sons and what, you know, they needed to kind of push themselves forward. And a lot of top athletes, you know, will have kind of a, you know, a fire internally already. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily about trying to light a fire for them, Mm -hmm. right? It's just giving them a little bit of gas or sometimes it's even giving them a little bit of oxygen to let that, you know, fire really grow. It's not necessarily about, you know, just doing, doing the same thing. Like you, I, I think it's just understanding what your child needs at that point in time to continue to basically push forward. Right. And there, there's obviously certain aspects where, you know, they probably were, were, were very tough and were just like, Hey, no, like that's not the right way to do this. Right. And other times it was just more of like being a cheerleader, like mm-hmm. supporting them from the standpoint of saying, yeah, like you're doing all the right things. Like, you know, stay on the path, stay on course, do, do that. Um, and more just, you know, kind of supporting them with, with positivity than necessarily always making it constructive, right? It's just being able to understand the situation, understand where they're at at that point in time to, to continue to push it forward. How was your dad and your success? Be honest. He was extremely supportive. And I think the the thing that was difficult for us is we didn't always see eye to eye. And I think I didn't necessarily make it well known on what I needed from him. Right. right? And I think there were times where that was maybe a little bit more of kind of butting heads versus, you know, constructive. And we were like, we were probably trying to move in the same direction. Like, actually, I know we were trying to move in the same direction, but we weren't getting on the same page. Right. And I think like that, I'm not saying it held me back at all. Because it, because I don't, I don't think it did, right? It actually probably took me to another level, and and probably made me, you know, understand other aspects of, you know, things that I didn't see that same way, mm-hmm. right? And I think has made me more of a well-rounded person. But I think just, you know, from that aspect, there's, you know, you you've got to be kind of on the on the on the same page with it, or at least in the same book, right? And I think there were times where my dad was in this book and I was, I was over here reading, reading something else. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we weren't necessarily on the, on the same page going in, you know, kind of on the, on the same wavelength, so to speak. But, you know, my dad was, was extremely passionate about, you know, what I was doing, what, you know, my sister was doing just in general, like with, with sports, with academics, with life, you know, always trying to instill the right values and I think it was just, you know, there were times where we, where we didn't see eye to eye with it. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, you know, that I, w- I would say that's how my dad was. So for athletes or parents or coaches that don't see eye to eye with their athlete, parent or coach, <laughs> what, what advice would you give them? I think just talk about it. You know, I think it's probably easier said than done, but like try to better understand each other at work. Um, we, we do a lot right now, you know, Lippert's done a great job with kind of the, the leadership Academy and everything that we're doing there. And I've, I've learned a tremendous amount about, you know, just overall leadership. And I think, you know, anytime you're talking about a a relationship between two people, it's really leadership, right? Mm -hmm. It comes down to leadership in, in some form or fashion, whether you're a coach, you're a parent, you're a player, you're a teammate, whatever it is, right? You're a son, you're a daughter, like 
you know, you can lead up, you can lead sideways, you can lead down, you can lead any direction. And one of the things that, that we instill at Lipper is really lead self, lead team, lead business. And I think just based off of those conversations, number one, the most important aspect is understand yourself first. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't understand yourself, then having that conversation can be extremely difficult, right? Having that conversation with your parent or your coach, if you don't even know exactly what you're looking for, or what you need or what you're trying to do, how's that coach supposed to be able to help you? Yeah. Right. And then I think that the second aspect of that is really understanding, you know, that that lead team is understanding the bigger picture, understanding those around you, understanding what their goals are, right? Understanding what what they're trying to get out of it. And once you can basically get to that level, I think that's where you start to basically talk about that relationship between two people, right? Mm-hmm. You start to talk about the relationship between a coach and a player, a son and a, and a father, whatever it is, right? You start to talk about that relationship because the more that both sides can understand where you're coming from, what their goals are, what their intentions are, right? And and understand how that person ticks and maybe what what ticks them off, right? Like just understanding those aspects, I think, is what, yeah. you know, ultimately allows you to have an extremely constructive conversation on this is what we need to do to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're working in the right direction. And I think a lot of times, you know, the the, the hardest part is you know, this, this all happens extremely fast. Right. And, you know, I, I learned this now, you know, at almost 30 years old versus, you know, when I was 10 or 12, right. Having this conversation with my dad. Now, am I, am I trying to say that my dad has to be the one that knows this? No. Right. But like, I think still at the end of the day, the more that, you know, we can educate each other or that, you know, a parent today that's listening to this can, you know, maybe take some advice from it to say, Hey, like, you know, the more that I can understand, you know, the type of person that my kid is, what their goals are, what they want to do, maybe the more it allows them to, you know, really kind of drive, you know, them forward and and allow them to kind of be the best support system they can be for that player. Yeah. I, I honestly wish I would have spoke up a little sooner with my dad. Because I've told you, I mean, our dads are similar in their fun, unique ways. But I mean, when I was getting scolded in the car after a bad performance, I'm just going to say it as it is. I never said anything. I just took it, just nodded my head, maybe cried a little. And I went inside and like and and honestly, I wish I would have sooner because I eventually did have this conversation with my dad, but I wish I would have like. Not in that moment, right. <laughs> but maybe when we're in a better mood, um, would have just brought up, hey, I'm my best me when I get time to myself after a game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, honestly, all the things that my dad was saying was not wrong. Right. They were all right, yep. but they were just they just came at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And I was probably just starving. And yeah. needed food or tired and tired. Right. I mean, when you put your heart and soul on the field, whether it's a good performance or bad, you're exhausted. Right. And I think that like, again, it comes back to knowing the person better. Right. Because, yeah. you know, the more that you can get to get to really know them and understand them, you know, even now with teammates and, and, you know, people that, that I work with, you know, knowing how they normally act knowing kind of 
being able to kind of read that, read the room, so to speak. Right. But with that individual, like just knowing kind of what mindset are they in right now? Mm -hmm. Because that can, that can tell me like, how do I approach this situation better? Right. And I think, you know, sometimes as, as, you know, young adults, right. Or, or kids, like we don't even know how we express our emotions. Right. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, I feel to like figure our, ourselves out. Right. And, and sometimes I feel like our parents don't even know how to read our emotions. No. Right. And so I think that's like what makes it even more difficult. But that's where I think that the timing is crucial because, you know, at the end of the day, most athletes, not all athletes, but most athletes are going to be, you know, innately tough on themselves. Right. They're 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 not going to need too much pushing most mm-hmm. of the time, especially if, you know, they didn't have a good performance. They're probably going to know that they had a bad performance without you telling them, you know, that they, had, that they had a bad performance. Most of the time they're their own harshest critic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think it's just like knowing that about, you know, kind of athletes now would definitely be something that I would share just in general. And, and, you know, I hope I can, I can do one day is just to better understand like, you know, what is that, what's that athlete going through? What's that person going through before I, you know, tell them, you know, something else or some other form of constructive or positive feedback, right? There's times to, to basically kind of, you know, look at both of them, but I think it's, you know, it's knowing that timing going back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, think about us, our best conversations, they are over breakfast and coffee and pancakes. Yep. I mean, you always get like an egg with every sort of meat inside it and cheese, but yep, <laughs> it's the way to do it though. But I think that controlled environment for us is the reason why we are able to get to have conversations that we don't normally have while we're watching TV at night with our dog. Right. So I think there's something to that. I think there's something about creating an environment where this is where and when we're going to talk about this thing. And honestly, sitting in a car kind of traumatizes me when I'm in the passenger seat sometimes and dad's right there and I'm 28 and I'm still feeling these things. Sorry, dad. But I I just think that has to do with, you know, I should have spoke up sooner. Like, Hey dad, I want to talk about this. Can we talk about it later? Again, I'm 12 years old, 13 years old. I'm not sure if I'm going to have that conversation. If Mm -hmm. I go back, I don't think I'm going to have it, but I just want at least parents and coaches listening read the room, read your athlete and like maybe ask is, do you want to talk about this now? I don't know where I'm going, but I think that that's important. Yeah. Okay. One thing that I admired a ton about watching you when you played was your incredible composure. Like it was, it was the coolest thing. Like, cause I know it's a very pressure situation, whatever situation that was. And it never looked like you were, down or even too happy you were just even keeled mm-hmm. why were you that way I think it's just you know we we talked a lot about highs and lows right and like how strong kind of negative thoughts can be and I think just looking at that it, it was important to me to not let what's already happened really affect me. Right. Was I mad about it for sure. Right. Was I upset about bad things or was I really, really excited about good shots? Yeah, of course I was. But at the same point, the more that you kind of outwardly 
express those, the more energy you're you're spending, right? We talked about how grueling and tough, you know, our our days could be, um, how difficult, you know, it can be as a as a mental grind. So the the more that you do that kind of as a as an outward expression, the more energy it takes, the more it takes you into those highs and the lows. And I felt like it just it took away the focus that was really needed, which was really on what's going to happen next. Right. Um, and I think just in, in, in really any situation, once we've committed to it, I mean, you got to just execute. Right. And at the end of the day, execution may not always look the same. Sometimes it may actually end in failure and sometimes it may end in success. Right. Um, same thing with golf, right? Like you, you go through all the, all the numbers you, you try to figure how, how far is it? You know, what, what's the wind doing? Where do I want to hit this shot? Right. And you make a decision at the end of the day, you say, yeah, I'm going to hit this club and I'm going to hit this shot and I'm going to hit it. And at the end of the day, if it turns out great, you hit a great shot. You know, the last thing that you want to do is get super excited because guess what? You still have to hit another one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like really the only time that you can get that, that I feel like you can get like super, super, super excited is basically if you're completely done. Like if you, if you've just, you know, kind of won the whole thing and and you're like, I am like, this is the, this is the end. Like, I know I've, I've kind of done it. Obviously there's really, really cool moments, right. Holing out, making a hole in one, all that kind of stuff. You go crazy. Cause it's just, it's not natural. Right. It's, it's just one of those. That's, that's cool. Yeah. But on the flip side, like, you know, you can have things that happen where it didn't, pan out the way that you planned it. It didn't, you know, the execution didn't go the way that you had wanted it to. And I think, you know, anytime that, you know, I look back at those situations or like even today in the, in the business world, like if there is a specific thing that we execute on that, that doesn't go the way that we plan in my mind, it was, it was poor, poor kind of preparation and poor planning. Mm -hmm. Right. Because at the end of the day, as long as you're committed to executing on on the things that you've done beforehand, you've done what you're supposed to do at that moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. But all the stuff that you did beforehand is what you can learn from, right? So, but there's no point getting upset about that at that point in time because there's nothing you can do about it. So I think it's just a matter of kind of trying to trying to stay kind of in in that level headed space. I think it it just allows you to think more clearly for what's going to happen next. Right. So like if you do something really, really good and you get super excited, you kind of forget about like what's happening next. And then you might screw up the next one. You just completely gave away whatever you just did. That was really good. Right. You're living in the past. Yep. Same thing's true. If you did something poorly and you get really, really upset. Well, if you stay upset and you don't think clearly on the next thing, it's going to snowball, right? You're going to do another bad thing and another bad thing and another bad thing. And it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Right. And that's not a good situation to be in either. So I think just that composure was something that I learned very early on. And this was actually something, you know, when, when we talk about kind of what, what my dad's kind of impact was that he instilled in me very early on because he talked me through that very same thing. And I don't know how old I was, but it made perfect sense to me because he gave me a very specific example. And he said, when you did this, like, this is what happened and this is what happened next. And this is what happened next. And this is what happened next. And I was like, Yep. hundred percent. Right. <laughs> and it was just, it was a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and I think from that moment on, you know, and, and that's a tough one because people play their sports with so many different like levels of passion that people will express more emotion than I express. I, I genuinely, I think just 
don't express a lot of emotion in really in many situations. Right. Um, I think that that's just kind of like who I am and other people express a lot of emotion, but I think it's being able to kind of figure out how to, I don't even want to say like figure out what like volume that's at, but almost just like know how to control it for yourself yeah, and know how to basically move beyond that to the next thing because sports is something that happens extremely quick. And in golf, I would say it's probably one of the slowest in a lot of cases Yeah, because you, you do have time. Uh-huh. You've got time to walk to your next shot and so forth. That's how I think softball and golf are similar too. There's a lot of time to think or overthink or mm-hmm. move on or stay in the past. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I heard a I heard an interesting stat one day, and it, it basically was talking about you know on the even on the PGA Tour or you know college golf, a round of golf usually takes somewhere in the ballpark of you know let's say four four and a half hours, right? If that's how long it takes, but by the rules of golf, you only have forty five seconds to hit each shot. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing at a high level and you shoot let's say even par seventy two, and you take that math out the longest that you would ever actually have to like truly focus on the game is really right about an hour, right? It's like 60 minutes. Sure. So at the end of the day, like, and and that's spread out over four hours. So those like other, you know, three hours, it's really trying to figure out how do I, how do I not get in my own way almost, right? It's like, how do I just, you know, think about other things, think about, you know, what I'm having for dinner, think about, you know, what, what my family is doing for Christmas, whatever it is, right? Like think about other things because you can wear yourself out by thinking too much in between. Right. And that's again, like back to that, the whole energy thing, that's a lot of expended energy that you could be using on other things. Totally. And I think when it comes down to it, you know, I know you didn't have high emotions like after a shot, but I think during a shot or like while you're in the present moment, every elite athlete is the same. They are locked in. And again, like some people, like I think of just like Garcia, Sergio Garcia, or just like John Rom. They get super excited mm-hmm. or upset. Yep. But like when you look at them when they're actually performing, mm-hmm. they're locked in and, and yeah. back at it. Yep. So I agree though. I think there's like that balance to make sure you don't just like over exude your brain and your energy on the things that, right. you know, you could easily just be like, you know, you, you see guys on the course all the time that are just like, Hey, how's your dog? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like they're just, yep. and I didn't know that that happened until I was out there watching you caddy for Adam and I wanted to get into caddying, but we can do that next conversation. But the, the best players, they're able to kind of just like take themselves away from the game, mm-hmm. especially in those moments that really yep. are just in between. Yeah. And a lot of those names that you mentioned, and you know, we, we even talked about tiger. A lot of those guys have, you know, just a rule set. Right. And it's like, I have a 10 second rule. You know, I hit a golf shot. It lands, it stops. I have 10 seconds to basically say whatever, do whatever, positive, negative, whatever it is about that shot. And once those 10 seconds are up, it's over. Like yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm right back to where I was before. Mm-hmm. I was never able to do that. Right. Like it's if hard. all of a sudden I did that, like it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily stop. And I think just in general, it was it was one of those where I I just figured, you know, I I'm gonna take whatever result and I'm just gonna take it. Like I feel like I have pretty thick skin. I'm just gonna, you know, have it hit me and I'm gonna say, okay, yep, that was a terrible shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You're honest with yourself. Move on. Yeah. Cause guess what? 
the only thing I can do now is make sure the next one isn't as bad as that last one. Yeah. Right? But at the same point, like, I'm, I mean, I, I say that now, but that's not necessarily exactly what's going through your mind. But like the longer that you let that linger and all of a sudden you're, you're actually in the moment trying to think of that next shot. Well, now you're thinking about the completely wrong thing, right? You've got to think about what, what you're trying to do then. Right. Right. Mic drop. I think that there were so many just like little gems that we've never even touched on this podcast that you brought up. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you were on. This is normally the part where I say, where can people follow you and your work on social media? You're never nowhere posting nowhere. your last post. I'm calling you out I'm was when we rock. got engaged. We are now married. I am under a rock. Yeah, kind of. So if you're looking to follow Ben Marvin, you can't. It's a great way to put it. Just follow <laughs> Ashley. That, yeah. That's how you follow me. I was going to say, I post enough about you. People can get to know you, but this or, has Arnie. Been, this is, or Arnie, of course, but this has been so much fun before we call it quits on this conversation. I want to ask you five questions. Okay. I call them five to thrive. Give me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask. Okay. Do you have any questions? Mac and cheese. <laughs> Mac and cheese. That's what you want for dinner. Okay. Got it. Got it. The first question is, what's your favorite thing about golf? It's tough. That's a common answer. Am I supposed to go further? No, nope, okay. nope, that's it. You know, I love that answer, though, because it's true. You don't play a sport without understanding how tough it is. But you don't love it either without understanding how tough it is. Yeah, great answer. Who is the athlete you looked up to most growing up and why? Bobby Jones. Really? I thought you were going to say Tiger Woods. No. Why Bobby? What impresses me about Bobby Jones and obviously never got to see anything that he did in, in real life, but just, you know, read some books on him, watched some movies on him, everything else. And the guy was a true all around person. And I think that was like something that, again, you know, going back to my parents that they instilled in me, it wasn't about you know, what I did on the golf course that day, right? It was about the the all-around human being that I was, yeah. right? School mattered. My family life mattered. My friends mattered. Golf mattered. Like, yeah, those all those things matter, but it, but it's who you are as a, as a well-rounded person, right? Like, you can't let sports define you. And I think that was what was so cool about Bobby was the fact that he was not only an incredible golfer, but the things that he did outside of golf – were also incredible. I mean, he was an incredible student, family man, everything that was just really, really cool to see because it, it shows that it can be done, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can excel at more than one area and be a good person. Exactly. And, and just because you're, you know, and at the end of the day, sports will not be around forever. Um, and that was something that he learned because he, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, he had a disability that basically didn't allow him to continue to play golf. Mm -hmm. um, but it was because he had the right mindset around the rest of his life that, you know, he was that well-rounded person and he had something to do after golf was over, you know, and I think that's similar to like where I'm at now, right? It's not just golf. Good answer. I love that. What is something that I do? That just completely annoys you. Ooh, 
probably just sit on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> you're just always on your phone. <laughs> Watching TikToks. I don't know what you're doing half the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just like. I'm researching what I'm going to post. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do need to get better at that. I do. I need to be more of a family woman and be present a little bit more. This is like therapy and a mic. <laughs> Two more questions. One, who was your favorite coach growing up and why? I don't know if I can really point out one. You know, I I, I think throughout my high school career, I mean, you, you just end up with so many different coaches, right? Yep. Um, when you play multiple sports and, you know, you've got kind of your, your team coaches, you've got your individual coaches. I mean, I just... I felt like I had some great ones. Um, you know, Coach Lindgren obviously was high school golf coach. Coach Woods, high school tennis coach. Tim Taig was my personal swing coach. Like just, you know, people that that truly, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to my Bobby Jones answer, people that didn't take me for just an athlete, right, mm. but like really instilled into me as a person um, that cared about who I was. Um, that cared about how the rest of my life was going, that asked me how I was doing and genuinely like cared, right? Outside of just golf, like didn't matter like how well I was playing, but like you could literally just have a candid conversation with them and just, you know, they'd ask you about your girlfriends or whatever it was, right? And just like talk to you as a, as a person, right? And, and, and truly want you to grow and become the best person that you could be, the best, you know, student, son, brother, you know, husband, whatever it is, right. That, that they just cared. I think that that's the biggest thing. Good answer. I love that. All right. Before I ask the final question, thanks for coming on, babe. You bet. It's been fun. <laughs> well, you, we'll see. We'll see if I'm the, uh, least less listen to episode. Listen to Oh yeah. That's something that we've, we said we're going to look at be like, okay, where's your stats? I don't think you will be the least listened to. We'll see. I really don't. We'll see. I think more people care about conversations like this than you think. I look forward to it. I do. Last and final question. Will you come back on the show? We'll see when the invite comes and how the, how the scheduling works out. Well, let's be honest. The planning wasn't necessarily the greatest for this. No, it wasn't. But, you know, I'm just finally glad we ripped the bandaid off and just did the thing. There you go. Because it was fun. Maybe maybe the final question should have been where are we going to eat for dinner? I think the I think the more important question would be if I asked you, am I ever invited back, <laughs> or am I ever going to be invited back? Well, like I said, there are so many avenues we could have gone, and there's so many other things I want to dive into, especially when you caddied for Adam, so oh. on the PGA Tour. I want to dive into more about your dad and you and your dad's relationship because I know there's athletes out there right now that you know want to have better relationships with their parents and vice versa and just know like the training that you did like there's just a lot of different places we could have gone so the business world I think would be a good one too the business world what about it I think just the way that you know athletes athletes are listening to this I'm aware but (laughs) athletes also make some of the best employees and leaders that you'll ever find that's fair and at the end of the day I should know the statistic better but it's less than, I think it's even less than 1% of college athletes go on to have a career in athletics. Yeah. They all have careers somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, um, you know, the lessons that are instilled within athletes 
become the things that make us great leaders in life. I feel like there there may be a thing or two that I'd have to say about that. If you ask the right questions. If I ask the right questions, <laughs> he's going to have to write his own questions at that point. Um, no, I think that is a really valuable conversation we can have in the future. Sounds like we'll have to do multiple more episodes. If you're in. Throw it on my calendar. <laughs> you're the organized one. I'm just the one that says sticky note. Okay, we're doing it this day. There you go. All right, you're coming back on the show. It's official. Okay. Thanks for coming on, babe. Yep, you bet. It's been fun. Did you love this conversation? I didn't want it to end, clearly. Um, And I truly am asking you this question and want to know your answer. If you want to hear more from Ben Marvin, my super smart, intelligent, yes, I know both those words mean the same thing, but I just loved having... Ben Marvin on and I want to know if you did so if you could just leave me a review or send me a DM on social don't send him one he won't respond he's not really on social media that much but I would love to know do you want him to come back on what would you like him to talk about he is so knowledgeable and he really has thought a lot about his performances and what went into his good ones what went into his bad ones and he's just very knowledgeable And maybe you just want to hear more about our relationship. I don't know. But just let me know what it is that you'd like to hear more from him if you do. Um, I want to get him back on. And I just want to know what you want to learn more or what subjects we should go deeper on in the future. I mean, he's married to me forever, so I can just ask him to be on whenever. But thank you for for joining this conversation. I hope you learned a lot about maybe yourself um, and you know, how you can step up for your athlete in different ways, how you can show up better for them, how your athlete can maybe think about how to become a better version of her through this conversation. That's the whole goal with this podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share this with a friend. If you feel like they could learn from it and don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, keep smiling and keep working so hard for those goals of yours. Thanks for tuning in. I'm excited to be back next week. See you later.